Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And October continues, the spookiest month of the calendar. And uh, you be sure to check out our last episode, if you haven't already, with our interview with DWKN. But continuing the spooky content, we're going from spooky books and spooky comics to spooky movies. And uh, hey, you know what? Graham and I know a little bit about horror, but you'll notice we don't touch on it uh, too much. So we thought, hey, why not bring in some experts? Yeah, so this week we've got two of our biggest horror geek friends we've got aisha khan and jeff goodman please feel free to uh, introduce yourselves hi there i'm aisha i am a big horror geek i'm also a huge trekkie so you've heard me on this podcast before arguing about <laughs> star trek how are you hey aisha <laughs> uh, i'm jeff i'm also a, a big horror fan um with a significant overlap into sci-fi and fantasy so i'm excited to uh hear your list all righty so like we've been doing in past episodes, we've got dueling lists. Um, each of our guest geeks have brought a list of their top five horror films. We're going to go back and forth. We'll see if there's any overlap, and we'll see sort of whose list uh, turns out better. Because it's everything's more fun if it's a competition. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on, uh, it's important to note that one of the cool things about horror movies is not knowing what comes up next. And it should be noted that we are going to be spoiling the heck out of these movies. So if you are a horror fan and you're looking for something cool to watch and you hear us mention a movie and you haven't seen it yet, maybe pause the podcast and go give it a listen. The fact that it's on our top five list here means it's good and you like it, um, but you probably best experience it before you hear the rest of the show. So uh, we should pick somebody to go first. Did you want to go to the effort of rolling for initiative or did somebody want to, I mean, or Canadian, so it wouldn't be volunteering to go first, it would be yielding the floor to the other person. I will cede the floor to Aisha. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. We're going to do the ladies first thing. Okay. <laughs> All right. So number five on my top five horror films list is The Thing. Is that on your list, Jeff? It is not on my list, but that's an excellent choice. All right. It would, it would definitely be on my list if I if I had made one, which I did not. But I, I do love that movie. Fantastic. So uh, a little bit about The Thing. It's a 1982 film directed by John Carpenter. It stars Kurt Russell, Keith David, and Wilfred Brimley. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people know this is actually a remake of a 1951 film called The Thing from Another World. Um, the plot very basically is just said it's a research team and in uh, Antarctica uh, they're hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of his victim like a virus um, there's distrust abound as to who is infected and when the alien gets found out it turns into a massive gooey spider monster that incorporates like the visual elements of the person that just exploded out of um, and uh, yeah I think this is Dark Carpenter's like his best work it's his favorite of his movies, and it almost ended his career. <laughs> so it was critically panned. Um, it opened the same weekend, interestingly, as Blade Runner, oh, which wow. was also critically panned, by the way. Um, and it's just, you know, he's he's talked a lot about how much he was disappointed by how this movie was received, because he himself loves it so, so much. 
Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's funny now because it's a cult classic. So it's just something that was, in my opinion, way ahead of its time, especially in terms of creature design. So a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the critical disapproval of it was that, oh, it's really schlocky and the creature design is really gory. And it's like, it's gross. It's a gross movie. Um, especially because compared to the 1951 film, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot gorier. The 51 film was a lot sort of quieter, quote unquote classy. Um, but I think the creature design is absolutely groundbreaking and ahead of its time. It was, the world was not ready for what the gooey spider monsters look like in this movie. I feel like at this point, it's even, it's, it's even better than it would have been received at the time because I guess at the time those sorts of effects were were you'd see them more but now in a world of CG where everything is just done in a computer not to knock that it takes a lot of skill and it's it can be very impressive but there's something extra creepy I find about the practical effects in this movie that that put it over the top in the scare factors Absolutely, and I think the the creature design is especially unnerving because aliens in movies up to this point were like dudes in suits, and like they were humanoid or they were like cutesy puppets. I think ET actually came out the same year. I think that was also nineteen eighty two, but this is just completely, you know, asymmetrical. Just really something that's just really strange to look at. It's not. It's not something that you can acclimate to by by thinking that it's just oh it's an alien from another planet with a big head and like big googly eyes or whatever. It's... I think you could say the same thing about ET though. He's pretty creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I but mean, yeah, I appreciate I... the joke, but yeah, like that is doing the the creature a disservice. <laughs> Like especially towards the end of the movie when it's really developed and it's absorbed it's absorbed people and it's absorbed dogs and it's doing its own thing. Like the final climactic shot of what it is is so bizarre. There's no recognizable anatomy. Right. I mean, I guess like in a way there is because there's weird faces all over it and parts of a dog over here and parts of a guy over here and a big mouth over here for no reason. Right. But like it, it like it doesn't conform to anything that makes any sense. Right. It's just a virus that sort of consumes and incorporates. Like that's what it does, and that's why it's just this disgusting amalgam by the end of it. That does that's and its only you know purpose is just to consume and exist and survive and grow. It's not something that can be reasoned with. It's just you know it's just taxes. It's just trying to grow. And I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. And it has one of the bleakest horror movie endings of all yes. time. Yeah. I love it. I think it was actually a different ending from the original. And that's a lot of reason why people like didn't like it at the time. Because they're like, oh, that's that's a feel-bad kind of movie. And you know what? It's great. I, I think this movie is something that was so ahead of its time that it's appreciated now for what a masterpiece it actually was. But I think it's just really ironic that it almost ended John Carpenter's career and that, like, he stopped getting work after this for a while. <laughs> really cool setting, too, and, and kind yes. of unique in, in horror, especially at the time. So, yeah, it's, it's aged really well. And oh, I, yeah. I feel like every sort of sci-fi show or, or even anything remotely horror-tinged that's episodic has done its take on the thing. Uh, even Deep Space Nine has an episode like that, or, and uh, The X-Files have a thing episode. Yeah, That's and there was a, a modern there was a modern remake as well. That was kind I of, believe that was actually a prequel. Okay. Yes. Did anyone it was see in, it? 
No, I didn't see it, but I know it came out in 2011. But I just wanted to comment that the, one of the reasons why I think it's aged so well is because a lot of the creature design was practical. It wasn't CG, so it hasn't something. It isn't something that you would watch now and be like, "Oh wow, vampires yeah. in 2002 cringe, cringe were really bad." Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much like um, Alien, the way those movies have aged. Uh, and the yeah. effects, especially in, in the first one, which is even older, yeah. right, than, than uh, the thing. So yeah. a couple of years, I think, yeah. But it's also worth noting, right? Like the like the creature is only one part of the horror of that movie. The other is the paranoia. Yeah, like right. a big part of that movie is everyone standing in a room, like absolutely not trusting one another yeah, and trying to figure on, out on each other. Yeah, like that. That's a horror element too that I think sure. gets overlooked, and I think maybe that's why it was critically panned. Like because the creature is so distracting from that, like it, it sort of overshadows the genius that goes into these characters, just div- like Lord of the Flies in each other. It's interesting exactly. you saying that because that element is a huge part of a couple of the movies on my list that are much uh, more recent. So it's something that's really influenced the genre and stuck around and is still really effective. I, one of the most iconic scenes in it is everybody standing around once they figured out how the blood test works and testing and just the, the looks on on uh, everybody's faces and how they're interacting in that scene when everybody's testing their blood. It's absolutely phenomenal. So this is a movie that is, uh, you know, underappreciated at its time, but it is absolutely a classic. So I feel like we should move on. But before we do that, just really quick. So at the end, what do you think the status is? There's this Keith David and Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Are are they both human? Is Are either of them human? What do you think? I think neither of them are human because <laughs> I feel like it's a bleak ending. Let's just take it a little, take it down a notch, and nobody survives. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jeff. What's your uh, number five? So my number five is a French film um, called À l'intérieur, which translates uh, to inside. It was released in 2007, and it premiered at uh, TIFF, which is actually where I saw it at um, Midnight Madness. And, wow, uh, humble brag. It, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, back when I could go out and see movies in theaters. <laughs> um, and it is one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had in a theater. So that's why it made my list. Um, in doing research for this podcast, um, I was pretty hesitant to rewatch it, actually, um, despite its brilliance. Um, it is about a pregnant woman who is being terrorized in her own home by a uh, seemingly random uh, other woman. And that's, the, in essence, the entire film. It's a, it's a cat and mouse um, kind of chase around this house. Um, and um, there is a bit of a twist uh, ending, which I won't uh, give away, obviously. Um, things get pretty gory, and um, the way it's shot is just brilliant. Um, it starts out for the first 20 minutes with really kind of long, slow moving camera um, angles and stuff and, and thematically just really odd color choices and lighting. And um, I'll never forget being in the theater for those first few minutes. And there is one particular scene where the attacker is in the house and the woman oh. isn't aware of it. <laughs> I've never felt tension in a theater like that before. Like you could, act, it was so thick in the theater, you could really could cut it. Like it was just, it was crazy. 
You're so. skipping over the meat, Jeff. That scene is burned in my memory. I, I should point out, I, I know exactly what scene you're talking about, so that's how that's how you can tell how effective it is, but you had me watch this movie in a spare bedroom at your parents' house when we were still in college. I wasn't in a theater, and I still felt that tension. I wanted to crawl outside. This, <laughs> this shot, like, the, the, the context of the scene is, like, we've had our first encounter with the crazy lady, who's, you know, the, the killer... Um, but who's outside the house and the, the hero has called the police and everything's fine now. And the, the hero, such a well, protagonist, I don't know. The woman is, is like, the, the shot is a wide shot of this woman sitting on the couch and she's talking on the phone to somebody. Yeah, she's gone now. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, everything's fine. And it's this incredibly boring conversation. And I, I have to assume they do a trick with the focus or something. But you start to get bored and you start to look around the scene and that's what you notice in the background that the killer's there. She's been like, there just, the whole time. She's yeah. been there the whole... You don't know how long... Like, this scene goes on for a couple minutes. At one point, you just notice she's just standing there in the doorway behind the couch. And, and there were people in the theater screaming. Like, it was just... It was totally surreal. Yeah. And you, and and you wonder, like, what are they screaming? And then you see it. Yeah. And, and then, like, the scene ends. The killer just, like, walks off to somewhere in the house. And the hero hangs up the phone and goes about her day. You know, whatever. But... She's right there. How could you? It, 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 oh God! It has it, it has been pins and needles. I didn't rewatch it for this this recording. We watched it maybe six years ago, and it's still making me uneasy to describe. <laughs> so yeah, that one that one really stuck with me, and just the premise of the of the film, like um, essentially a pregnant woman being terrorized, is is horrifying in itself, right? Um, so yeah, just uh, really memorable, really uh, intense chase movie, essentially set in a house. Yeah, now, another really unique aspect of it too, and, and kind of touches on on that scene as the perfect example is it's not a long film. I think it's about eighty or ninety minutes, and the first twenty are pretty slow. It's kind of a slow burn, and then the rest of it is just chaos. Does the so so you went to French immersion for a long time, so I'm sure the subtitles didn't didn't bother you much but Jess were the subtitles distracting at all especially for something that's so intense uh, no honestly honestly subtitles have never bothered me I know some people say it does and I understand there are certain circumstances where like the subtitle doesn't co- convey the whole meaning uh, maybe it helps because of the nature of a horror movie is a lot of the subtitles are just you know in parentheses screaming right yeah, it's not, yelling exactly right. a dialogue heavy dialogue driven film it's very visual so yeah so maybe that helps, but no, in no way does the, the French language um, it hurt it at all. And But yeah, like Jeff said, it, maybe it's because it isn't so much about what they're saying, it's about what's happening. I will admit that I have not seen this movie, but it sounds absolutely awesome. I just wanted to make a point that I am very appreciative of the concise length horror film that oh, sort yeah. of takes its time to ramp up and then gets to a fever pinch at about like, you know, minute 75 and then ends. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so more of that. There seems to be like a sweet spot around right around 90, 80 to 90 minutes, I'd say, for this genre yeah. that, that you can really kind of nail a story in. So, yeah, à l'intérieur, inside, number five. Okay, thank you. Uh, so, Aisha, what's your number four? My number four, uh, I'm kind of cheating because I want to talk about two movies, but it's the Suspiria remake from 2018. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, is that on your list, Jeff? 
It, it's not, but uh, it's it's a classic. The original. I, I, haven't the, I haven't seen the remake. So, yes. Yeah, so, it, the 2018 is a remake of the 1977 classic by Dario Argento. Um, and it's a remake by Luca Guadagnino, um, starring uh, Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton. It's probably the most polarizing entry on my list because critics kind of either love this or absolutely hated this. Um, I loved it. Uh, I think this is an extremely underappreciated uh, remake. Um, but the plot in general is that uh, both versions of this involve uh, the protagonist Susie Banyan. She's an American dancer who travels to, travels to Berlin to study dance in a world-famous dance company. And she finds that there's a dark secret about the matriarchs who are running the school. And this, you know, the secret is that it's a coven. Um, but those are that's pretty much where the similarities end between the two versions. The original 1977 version, it everything is just turned to 11. Like the colors are super saturated. Um, the score is extremely jarring, like to a point where like. It, it, the dialogue is so quiet that I would turn the volume up and then as soon as the music kicked in, I would turn it way down. Like I had to keep the remote in my hands the whole time. It's very, very, very jarring. Um, and the original is also kind of thin on plot because the plot really isn't the point of the original. It's supposed to feel like a really disorienting, stylized fairy tale. Um, you know, like all the other students are disposable. I don't even think the characters have names. You don't learn anything about the witches or their motivations. It being a dance school is like purely incidental. I think there's literally one scene where people are like warming up to dance and then no dancing happens. But the remake gives all of these things, all of these elements substance. So the look is completely different. It's very muted colors. It's a very wispy score. The score is by Tom York of Radiohead, which I'm like, so he was like designed for me to love it. Um, the Coven the are actual characters, like they all have names and the movie isn't coy about it being witches. So in the original, you don't find out about it being a coven till like minute 65. Um, in this uh, remake, it's it's right up front and center that this is a coven and these are their uh, you know, political motivations for what they're trying to do. Um, the protagonist, Susie Banyan in the remake, has agency <laughs> like stuff does, doesn't like happen to her and she kind of goes along with it she's actually trying to make changes to her circumstances um and the dancing is significant it's it's how the witches cast their spells and resurrect like an ancient nature um these yeah. there's these gorgeous choreographed sequences um uh where they're uh, this group of girls are are casting the spell and it's all sort of modern dance and i don't actually know who they got to choreograph these scenes but they're absolutely stunning um and my it has it's tied in with one of my favorite on-screen death deaths in a horror movie possibly ever um so there's a scene where Susie banyan is uh is auditioning and at the same time in a different part of the school uh, the Coven of Witches is trying to interrogate and torture uh, this traitor witch. And as Susie is dancing, um, her movements are sort of uh, in sequence and sort of, um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's sort of the way she moves contorts that traitor witch's body. So as she makes a movement, her body sort of twists and cracks in a different room and she's just a pretzel who pees herself by the end of the sequence and it's horrifying and it's gorgeous and it's just really really 
oh, it's just visceral. I love that scene so, so much. Um, and also Tilda Swinton is in this movie playing three different characters, including one old man, one uh, very Jabba the Hutt looking old witch, um, <laughs> and everything she wears is absolutely phenomenal. Like her entire closet is something I want to own. So this is using <laughs> Tilda Swinton to the max. Um, but it's just, it's, I love it because it's such a departure from the original. It's such a ballsy thing to do to remake such a revered film um, and make it so different, but also flesh it out in all the ways that the original was lacking. I, I got to talk about the, I got to talk about the Tilda Swinton angle for uh, a second since you brought it up. Because yeah. I didn't know that going into it. I just thought she was the witch. I didn't realize she was playing two other or parts. And I'm watching it and like old man, at first I was like, is that an old man or is that a lot of old age makeup? And then I sort of forgot about it and just enjoyed the movie. And then later on, like she speaks German through the whole thing as the old man or mostly German. And I was like, that's kind of, voice is kind of high for a guy. Maybe it's just a German thing. And I just kept ignoring it. And then later when I, I was reading about it, my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe that it was that, that was Tilda Swinton. It is such a good performance and, and makeup effect on her. Oh, my God. It's it's you know, it's just a testament to what a brilliant actor she is, because, again, I did not realize until right up in the last scene where she's sort of sitting in bed. So her that character's arc is that uh, he's lost a wife who used to be connected to the school and he doesn't know uh, what happened to her. Um, and when he finds out and he's given uh, sort of some closure for his arc. Um, at the end of the movie, uh, he's sort of sitting in bed and crying about it. And that is the, that's when I realized, oh my God, is that Tilda Swinton <laughs> playing this character? <laughs> and could cry like that. <laughs> and I actually didn't even realize until I read about it that she was one of the, one of the, 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 the old matriarchs, like in the big body suit. I had no idea that was her. until yeah, <laughs> That one is so much makeup that you, yeah. I think you could be forgiven. <laughs> yeah. So no, it's this is you know giving her free reign to do everything that she wants to do as an actress, and she's absolutely fantastic in it. But it's just everything about this film is it's creepy, but it's beautiful and it's empowering to all of the characters. Um, but it is does pay homage in important ways to the original. Like it's not trying to be like that movie sucked. Let's do it better. It's it's still respectful of what the original was trying to do, especially in all of the dream sequences. So I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. It, it also had, um, it, it, it's got something that I really appreciate in a lot of horror movies where there isn't, it's not neat and tidy. Like, like when I watch a horror movie, I want to leave still feeling unsettled and, and scared. And uh, this, uh, one of the ways to do that is to have it be more like dreamlike and, and not explain everything and leave a lot of stuff to your imagination. And so, the way the movie ends, there's so many questions left. It clearly is saying stuff about Germany post-war and and reconciliation and 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 like age versus youth and and there's all that stuff going on. But a lot of it is left to you to sort of piece together. None of it's it's laid out right in front of you, and and it makes it something that you that I found I was stewing on for days afterwards. And that's the biggest thing about this. This is a movie that sort of sticks with you. And I remember the first time I watched it in theaters, I walked out going, I don't know how I feel about what I just saw, but I think I liked it. <laughs> and then I had to watch it a couple more times to really percolate like what my opinion of it was. And I love when film does that. Um, you know, and the original was like, it ends with the 
spoilers. Uh, it ends with the coven exploding and like like Susie Banyan walks away kind of smiling. The end. Credits. <laughs> but this one, you know, leaves you with a few ideas to ponder, and that's that's I think is something else that's an improvement. I wanna. So this is one of the ones I didn't get to. I've been hearing you guys talk about it. I really want to see it just for the technical side of it. But this is a... Hmm, I don't know if this is sensitive or not, but it's going to apply to other movies we talk about. So maybe we don't end the discussion here. But I see a trend in a lot of horror movies, especially more artistic ones like this, where what they do is they have like, oh, witches, this equates to female power. And I suppose it can be on a case-by-case basis. Um, Especially I don't want to call this one out because I haven't seen it, but it seems like there are ways to do that that are probably very empowering, like in a feminist way, and ways that are kind of demeaning, like women with power are monsters and serve the devil. Um, yeah, yeah. I was sort of wondering where you stood on that. I mean, maybe we, we revisit this with later movies, but at least with this one, like, it's the hero. I mean, my understanding is that the hero is kind of a witch, too, but sort of. But like, so Well, that... that's the thing. That's the, one of the bigger differences between the original and uh, the remake. Um, in the original, it's very much that sort of demeaning version of a witch. Which, by the way, the coven also in the original involves someone that there's 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 some warlocks in it as well. Um, yeah. But you know, it's uh, they're like these older women who are sort of just malicious, and they're you don't really learn anything about their motivation or anything like that. In the remake, all of these characters are fleshed out and. Susie Banyan, spoilers to everybody who's listening, is actually a reincarnation of their coven's, like, original matriarch. Um, And she makes a bunch of people's heads explode at the end (laughs) who are, uh, you know, worshipping the wrong matriarch. Uh, So it's, I think that trope of witches has changed over time. And I think this isn't one of those movies that, this is one of those movies that sort of represents uh how we see powerful women in horror especially powerful women of a certain age in horror i i would say i i i after i watched it and i was doing on it a bit i was like i wonder what this movie would be like if it had been written and directed by women instead of by men hmm. and because it, it definitely it does feel like there's an element of of projection of like what the dangers of female power and, and things like that in, in this, that I, I would rather see explored from a, a female perspective, a woman's perspective, you know, it, I, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's sort of a, a dicey issue for, to, to, I, cause it is a beautiful movie and it has a lot of interesting things to say. I just wonder if, if what would be changed by that different perspective. That's an interesting point. I'm not sure what a female director would have done differently with this film, um, because I think the improvement it makes on the original is that it gives all of the female characters so much agency uh, and depth. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess it's a theme we're going to continue to explore. Uh, Jeff, you want to hit us with your number four? Yeah. uh, Number four on my list was The Host. Um, which came out in 2006, um, also premiered at TIFF. Um, and uh, that was directed by Bong Joon-ho, who um, people will probably know for just winning an Academy Award for his new movie, Parasite, which was also amazing. Um, this one was his take on a monster movie, and um, it was a pretty unique take that I thought was just 
incredibly well done um, and um, strangely heartwarming in, in some ways. Um, really uh, likable characters and uh, just a, a really enjoyable experience overall. And then on top of that, there was a lot of, um, I felt, commentary regarding environmentalism and, and um, for a while it looked like we were going to get this kind of cool subgenre of, of horror, like these eco-horror movies started coming out. There's a couple of really good ones I could think of, this being one of the best. Um, unfortunately, it seems to have petered out a bit over the past couple of years, but uh, this one is definitely definitely up there. Um, I'm not sure if uh, you guys have seen this one or not. I think Grant. I saw it, I saw it uh, years ago, um, and I, I don't remember it that well. I remember being kind of disappointed by it. I think I, I thought it would be uh, funnier or um, more monster centric than it ended up being, but I, I so I, I didn't revisit it very much uh, after that because you know just this lingering sense of disappointment. I should probably give it another chance in in a more you know grown up light than I would have seen it in in two thousand seven or eight or whatever. I've sure, seen yeah. this and I I remember being really impressed by the creature design and the fact that the film is not coy about letting you look at the monster. It's one of the things I really hate about creature features is when they try to cover up the monster in like glimpses or like fog or it's raining and it's dark out and you just see like flashes and like thunder. No. This 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 fish monster thing is like out in daylight. <laughs> you can yeah, take a look at it. It really takes place in, in kind of in broad daylight, and it's, yeah. um, the monster is very uh, they're very clear about the monster being created by pollution into the Han River, um, and and yeah, and then the rest of the the film's really about this kind of this family and this this father who's kind of directionless and um, doesn't really kind of. Um, have much to do until his family is threatened by this monster and then things kind of take off from there so yeah I just thought uh, it was it was a really amazing take on kind of a, a very um, done genre type thing I mean it's probably important to, to zoom in a little on the fact that it's like besides being a horror movie it's also like kind of slapstick I guess yeah, I mean, yeah is sure. that too far or no no I, I think that's a really fair assessment and and especially like yeah there there is some very slapstick uh, comedy moments and and I feel like it's kind of a hard that's a hard thing to do to, to meld horror and, and comedy in that way and and yeah no kidding I thought the movie did it really well um, and and without seeming like they were trying too hard to make it work so I think didn't the dad or the actor who played the dad in this also play the dad in Parasite? He's yeah. sort of like a, one yeah. of the director's go-to guys. Go-to guys, yeah, yeah. And I even think yeah, there's been some like pretty not slapsticky, but like some comedy based off like family dynamics that this director in particular seems to to nail quite well. Yeah, uh, he also did Okja, I think, which is one of those oh, yeah. Netflix movies. It's sort of I didn't see that one, but it, it I know it, it was supposed to be very good. Yeah, and it's another environmentally uh, conscious sort of monster movie. I think I was mm-hmm. just about to mention. I was actually about to ask: Was it also Bong Joon Ho who did Okja? And that's another example of a uh, of a movie that's not shy about creature design because that creature is out in broad daylight all the time. I will say, I when when the creature design is boring, I'd rather not see it much. Like like <laughs> the, 
like the creature in what is it uh uh super eight that the creature in that was just like so generic and unmemorable and i was like why like just keep it in shadows at this point i'd rather just make it up in my mind yeah and that's i think another reason why this one stuck with me so much is that it was it was a kind of a unique take on again a genre that's just been done so much and and has become quite derivative in a lot of ways okay funny fish monster (laughs) (laughs) a little bit different from feminist rights and witchcraft but uh you know takes all types Uh, we'll come full circle as we get yeah (laughs) i figured all right aisha what is your number three all right, so my number three is, so, so far, what have I got? I've got your, you know, creature design. I've got witches. What's going on next? Okay, we got to talk about horror comedies. So number three on my list is Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah. It's a 2011 film directed by Drew Goddard. It's written by Joss Whedon. Um, it's an ensemble cast, including a very young Chris Hemsworth and Sigourney Weaver and Bradley Whitford of West Wing fame. Um, I love this movie more than a horror comedy I would call this like a horror satire I guess Um, the story is about five teenagers they go to a cabin in the woods for a weekend uh, and while exploring the basement they awaken a zombie hillbilly family Um, (laughs) it's a huge cliche and that's kind of the point because what you find out over the course of the film uh, is that these horror cliches are happening simultaneously around the world to appease the old ones and that's you by the way that's the audience um like in japan um there's a classroom of children being attacked by like a ghost girl with the hair in her face it's exactly what's your picture and um it's being run by this shadowy organization that's secretly influencing their chosen victims while also taking bets on how uh how they're going to make their decisions um and there's this great shot of like uh a uh kind of like it's kind of like a board where they've listed all of the possibilities of monsters that are going to attack these five kids um and this is office full of people taking bets on who they're going to pick um it's really cynical um but it's it's a satire about uh how horror conventions um are kind of dogmatic at a certain point um how we expect certain things from certain types of horror movies and what we expect the characters to do um and how if they don't do those things we are not we the old gods are not appeased um and it's kind of cheating for me to put this on this list because it's kind of every horror film at once <laughs> but <laughs> every every horror film trope and cliche wrapped in this this really kind of shiny awesome package i, I exactly. love this film I thought, it was, I thought it was really entertaining yeah and um, you and know, and it addresses all this. The uh, Richard Jenkins is awesome in this film as well. He has yeah. a very small part, but he's one of my favorite actors, um, mostly because of his role in Six Feet Under. But uh, yeah, what a great cast! Just all around amazing, fantastic Fun. cast. And I think Richard Jenkins has one of um, the best lines in the movie about uh, uh, when one of the coworkers is complaining about, "Well, I bet on zombies." He's like, no, it's it's hillbilly zombie family. Uh, and he talks about how it's, um, oh, God, I can't remember the line now. I think it's seal or elephant seal. I think that's how he describes <laughs> the difference. <laughs> but it's, it's just some of the creature design in it is also, again, fantastic. I think the sugar plum fairy is just a stuff of nightmares. It's just this tiny little creature in a tutu, and it turns around, and his face is like a leech. <laughs> it's it's wonderful, but it's, it's you know it's, first, 
it's one of the first places I can remember seeing uh, a unicorn as a thing to be feared. As an antagonist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it has a big knife on his head, I mean. <laughs> I should have realized. But you know, it's just—it's great because it calls out all of these tropes. Like I think with the um, with the American version of this, with the uh, with the five teenagers, is you know it's calling on tropes about um, how a lot of these movies that we grew up, slasher movies in the eighties, were very not sex positive, uh, and you know it would uh, punish the teenagers who were promiscuous, or it would punish the teenagers uh, uh, who were um, bullies or whatever. Like all these kind of tropes of like that were uh, that would pigeonhole the characters uh, into this is the type that you are you know and the movie starts out with these characters before they go to this cabin as being not those tropes at all like not those pigeonholed characters at all like I think um, uh, Chris Hemsworth ends up through the manipulation of the environment being like the dumb jock herder but in the beginning of the movie he's like recommending like philosophy novels to people and handing out things from his bookshelf um, you know, the slutty blonde is actually like an extremely intelligent girl in a committed relationship, and like she's pre-med. <laughs> so they're like, they're just they're none of these people. They're like fully rounded people, but this the conventions that we want from five teenagers in Cabin in the Woods like turns them into these cliches because that is what the audience wants to be appeased. So it's, it's a great movie where it's all the horror movies that you know at the same time, but it also calls out the nonsense that we expect that is uh, that is lazy about horror writing. Yeah. Now let me ask you, I mean, to be clear, I love this movie too. Like I've like like several rewatches and especially for me that's rare. <laughs> but I sort of expected hardcore horror fans to sort of turn up their nose at it. Like the actual elements of it that are horror are pretty sparse. Like there's a couple vaguely scary moments, but most of it is kind of action comedy rather than horror. Like I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, does this count as a horror movie? <laughs> I would say this counts as a horror movie in the in the same way you might count like Evil Dead or you know yeah, with um, Shaun Duncan of the Clay. Dead, like horror comedy. Tongue planted firmly in cheek, and, and it, there's no, there's nothing subtle about it, right? So, but I mean, Jeff, like you, like you've got the Midnight Madness in in your background. Like if if that crowd went to Midnight Madness and saw this movie, oh, it would have been a great, it would have been a, an amazing time in that theater. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah okay, so. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. There'd always um, be, you know, there's, there's always going to be the one guy at the end during the Q&A who would ask a bunch of annoying yeah. questions and stuff. But that, that happens at every step screening, so. I was going to say, wouldn't be Tiff without it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, my, uh, I don't find that I love it as much as other people do because I, I, I find it doesn't quite stick the landing. Well, you hate joy, so that's not surprising. There is that. That is a problem for me. But I also just think it's like maybe it gets over-explained by the end. It's like just I, I don't need every single detail explained, which which we may get to later in the movie, in the list as well. But it, it's it's great right up until the end, and, and I wish it had just left some ambiguity or maybe room for sequels or something just because it's like – it's so definitively an end and, and everything kind of gets explained and I, I just didn't didn't love that. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I agree with you on that in principle, but I think with the story that this movie is trying to tell, 
I think that it's like at the end of the movie, it's yep, here's everything that happened, and now the world is over. Period. The end. <laughs> like, and I think that the nihilism about it sort of suits the movie. Like, you know, the last two surviving teenagers, like they light up a joint at the end, and it's just like, you know, oh, shit, that was that was wild. <laughs> and that's how it wraps up. And roll credits. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of think it's appropriate for what it's going for. I feel like there's absolutely no need for a sequel to this movie. I, I you're right, you're right, but I, I the way the way it's set up, I do think they're they could have done one. They could have found ways to do sequels to this that wouldn't have been derivative or or just covering the same ground. Uh, but I, you know, I'm not I, I'm not advocating for that. Most sequels are are pale imitations of what came before, but. It's a it's fertile ground with the the world they create here, and they just don't. I I think they missed some opportunities. But isn't the sequel in the same setting with the same type of characters also a horror trope? Yes, yeah, for sure. Then <laughs> it, it's perfect for this. Yeah, so if you leave <laughs> your tongue in your cheek, you could definitely do it. <laughs> Yeah, you have another office and have them talking about, oh, you heard what happened to the last office full of right. people who are doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, it helps. It, it, I mean, certainly it helps that that character who does the exposition breakdown is Sigourney Weaver. Yes. Um, it's it's hard not to be delighted by seeing her there, especially yeah. in a powerful role like that. Um, but yeah, it's... See, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about this more with later movies, but like one of my favorite parts of horror movies is understanding the lore. And I agree that it's at its best when you don't have answers to all your questions, but I love the the unraveling. I love the understanding of what's been happening this entire time. That's my favorite bit. And in this one, it is really plain. It is very like, okay, and here are all the step-by-steps. Uh, but I think that suits the I think I think that suits the parody that this is going for. And it's, I, that, it's so polished. Like it's it's just fun to watch, right? It so. is. I I have the opposite thing. The more lore that's unraveled before me, the more I understand about it, the less interested I am, the, the less scared I am. Because like for me, the, the it's like fear of the unknown that really does it. And if I understand everything about how it works. It just is, you know, more and more reasons why I'm like, well, this could never happen in real life, so I am not afraid anymore. Yeah, but I, I think there's a pretty strong argument that this movie isn't intended to terrify you. I agree, yeah, yeah. yeah for, uh, for this movie, for sure, it doesn't matter as much as far as the scare factor goes. But I imagine seeing it in a theater must have been a blast. Like, I, I saw this years later after it was released, uh, but seeing it in a theater and just howling at the screen must have been yeah, so a lot in, of fun. In, Jesse, back to what you were saying, I think it would have been perfect to see a Midnight yeah. Magic in, in a raucous theater full hmm. of other horror fans who know yeah. all the tropes. Yeah, I could see that actually helping my enjoyment of it, honestly. It, it's a sort of movie that definitely benefits from having an audience, uh, I can imagine. It, but this movie also had a very tortured path to get to the big screen because I think it was MGM that had produced it and then they went out of business or, or they were so broke they could only release a movie a year and and so I think it was filmed in 2009 and only was released in 2012 alright well we should move on uh, balls back in your court Jeff what do you got yeah so for number three on my list was um, Us by uh, Jordan Peele a recent uh, one very recent uh, 2018 his uh, horror follow-up after um, 
the very highly acclaimed Get Out. Um, this one starring uh, Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke. Um, both from Black Panther. Yes, both from Black Panther. Um, and yeah, this one, uh, really cool concept. Um, everybody has a uh, secret clone um, called a, or a tethered person. You don't know that they would exist. Um, a couple of the tethered escape. They live uh, underground and um, come up to cause some chaos on the surface. And uh, there's a lot to unpack in this one. A lot of social commentary, a lot of um, class commentary. Uh, and I thought it was incredible. Just brilliant writing and amazing performances, especially by Lupita Nyong'o. Her, um, obviously, the, the characters end up playing two characters in the film. Um, they're surface level person and they're tethered and Lupita Nyong'o's tethered face is etched into my mind as being so terrifying um, I don't know if it had that effect on uh, you as well if you've seen it but uh, really effective film I think her performance as her you know as the the surface character and her tethered equivalent was absolutely the like that's what makes this movie yeah yeah it doesn't work without uh, that I, I would agree yeah. And uh, although, I mean, maybe this is a good segue to what Graham was talking about before, because I found in this one, they didn't answer all the questions about what the tethered are and where they come from. But what we see of them, I ended the movie thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like, like that could never work. How does that? And like, so they, I, and having the, my, my lore desires kind of blue balled really kind of hurt this one for me <laughs> i also i watched I, it actually i enjoyed that a lot more than i did with get out i thought get out kind of spoon fed the audience quite a bit more and this one left a lot to I, I, open uh, to interpretation i uh, am more in jesse's camp on this one i i watched it last night or a couple nights ago anyway it was i found it very I, it, there was there, there's like this whole long expository scene at the end where where so much gets explained and still leaves so many questions that I, I it's not like I ended the movie being like oh well that was interesting I got to think about what this means I was just like it doesn't make sense and and I don't I, think it, it left questions I think what it told you didn't add up yeah I mean we don't we don't have to keep dancing around it it's things like oh, so you're telling me that that hallway goes under the entire country <laughs> and. And like, how did how did they all fit into the hallway? Like, like, how were they able to mimic the movements of the people on the surface if they only had like important here eighty square? Well, but it's they went to so much effort. Like, it's very like the the, the climax of this movie is when she goes down to see where the tether came from. Right? It's very right. they do a lot of like Alice in Wonderland stuff. She, yeah. she goes through the mirror, and then there's a bunch of white rabbits down there. It's like okay. <laughs> But right, since there's the thing, I didn't get anything. The rabbits. What were the rabbits? What did that mean? Why was that there? Because it's a. I guessed because it was a Wonderland reference, and I guess because the tethered had to eat something. That's what I was but, gonna say. Is that one is an Alice in Wonderland reference, but also because like rabbits breed, so there would be enough of them for them to eat. <laughs> yeah, easy food source. But then, why? What's the tethering do? I it just. I was like. I, it, there's so much there's a lot there that it's trying to say about um, the uh, there's a lot of commentary like you said about society and social classes and uh, underclasses privilege. And, classes and privilege but it it spends so much time working on these messages that the actual surface movie 
doesn't work for me. Like I was not, there's a one scene in it where I was, I was feeling a little scared and the longer the movie went, the less scared I was, the less I, I worried about the protagonist because they never seemed to be in any danger from these creatures. I was, I had a, like a, I was watching it. I was like, I want to like this and, and I want to appreciate what it is saying, but the, the horror aspect of it wasn't working for me. I, Ooh, I, I, we are talking about the same thing, but I don't want to overwrite the the twist at the end about Lupita Nyong'o's character. The build up to that, yeah. I really liked the horror element of that. I mean, we're like listen, we're way past the spoiler alerts, and <laughs> but the like the like when it tur- like she was like the surface her was the tethered yeah. all along, yeah. and the whole thing started because the surface like got swapped. And so the head of the tethered is this person who was like the build up to that. And then thinking back across the movie, oh, here are all these weird things about this character I didn't notice first. I really liked that horror build of it. I, I found that, I think that really unreal. I think that reveal should have happened earlier because by the time that reveal happens, the movie's almost over. And I was like, well, it just doesn't. I, 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 I leading up to that reveal, I kept thinking like they should have revealed that she was that the, a switch had happened and then that happens and i'm like well now like the, it would have been more powerful if we'd seen the consequences of that earlier i, I think I don't that, know that reveal i think that reveal in the end sort of drives home the point the film was making about um class structure specifically in america um the fact that she was one of the people from the underground and flourished above ground it just means that people who are above ground aren't inherently more capable or more worthy of the comforts of their lives um they're just born into it and that they just got lucky this is won the lottery um i think that's the point i was trying to make and it made it well i actually really quite enjoyed the ending but then but then what's the tethering do like why are in the underground are they mimicking what's happening above ground and then she comes up and she's not mimicking what's happening under anymore why does that break like i just yeah, i think all that would have been okay if we hadn't seen it if we'd never seen mm-hmm. underground mm-hmm. yeah I th- I, because oh. they put it on screen and said here's how it works and you look at it and go that would never work so <laughs> i think that's the what I think that's the one thing that, that that takes away. If we never see what it's like under there, I think you can still make the same point, but it doesn't raise these obvious logical fallacies. And I, and this one is just a purely Graham thing, but uh, all of the crazy monster people wearing sandals, I was like, I'm not going to be threatened by someone wearing sandals. <laughs> it's just, it isn't working for me. But the red jumpsuits, though, those are pretty snappy. Well, yeah. that, was the th- that was the thriller thing, right? Because she gets the thriller t-shirt right before she goes down there. Oh, I, yeah. And so they're all wearing the red jumpsuits and the one glove. Yeah. I read about that. I didn't pick up on it at the time, but that oh, was interesting. Also, I, also, maybe this is a crazy Jesse thing then, but I loved the movies. Like, here's what white people are like. <laughs> I <laughs> loved that. Yeah. She sits down next to the, the rich white wife and yeah. it's like, here, like this rosé is delicious. And I, it's just like, okay, here we go. I, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think it's worth mentioning how fantastic Elizabeth Moth is in this movie. Well, but the, the fact that Tim Heidecker from Tim and Eric's <laughs> show is the husband in it, I, I couldn't take him seriously as a threat ever. I, he just is... <laughs> Again, I, mean, I don't think we're supposed to. I think that I is the idea. I'm not horrified by any people's tethered are also kind of kooky, right? They're not nearly as scary as, as Lupita Nyong'o's family. 
of I Teddy. mean, the twin daughters are still pretty freaky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to the point that because they're twins and they're a Shining reference. <laughs> but like the but the kid, like with the mask on, I forget what, what his name was, but the tethered equivalent of her younger son who was a little oh, hot. Yeah. He was unsettling. Jason uh, and Pluto. Kind of there feral, you go. yeah. Yeah, the feral kid. Like, you don't really get that from the white people's family. You just, like, you got that they were, like, yes, they were the crazy, tethered, murdering people, but they were still sort of stupid and vain. <laughs> but again, the the kid, I never, he was never a threat. He gets locked in the closet at the drop of a hat. Like, nothing, there was no, I, I never felt the family was in danger after the first, like, ten minutes of the tethered family showing up. Again, I, I think it, it a lot of this the success of this film is so dependent on Lupita Nyong'o's performance. Like that yeah, absolutely really stuck with me. That's why it made my list. Like my, my, my lasting memory of this film is her, is that face. Like just that's what creeped me out. So and the weird way she moves. Yeah. It's yeah. Kind of robotic and jerky and physical difference between the two characters. Like it, it really, I don't know that just really worked for me. I thought she was phenomenal in this movie. Anyway, controversial, but uh, <laughs> it, it always is with Jeff. <laughs> Fair enough. I aim to please. <laughs> All right, let's toss it back over to you, Aisha. All right, number two on my list um, is uh, Begotten. Now, this is a 1989 black and white experimental horror film by um, E. Elias Merig. I don't think I'm saying his name right, but. I watched the trailer. Apparently it's marriage. Is it marriage? Great. Um, He, by the way, he did go on to do other work. He made um, Shadow of the Vampire and he directed the music video for uh, Antichrist Superstar. So (laughs) it's not like this ended his career or anything, but it did have a... The thing uh, killed a career, but this didn't? (laughs) That is some bizarre mirror universe stuff we're living in. I gotta tell you... I, look, I, I just, I'll let you know right off the bat, I watched the trailer for this and read the Wikipedia summary and I said, I'm not going to appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to start my, uh, my little speech about this movie with a uh, comment that is controversial yet brave. I don't like this movie. I love the myth of this movie. What? And that's why it's on this list. I think that the... I love the i the the culture around this film is something I think is exclusive to the horror genre, and that's why it's on my list and so high up on my list. So, bear with me. <laughs> like I said, this is a black and white experimental film with no dialogue and very little music. It's only about seventy five minutes long. That also works in its favor. Um, I came across this film about ten years ago because it was suddenly on just every list of weird extreme things that you can find on the internet this was always on those lists and with good reason because when i finally got around to watch it it is a truly nightmarish unsettling film um when this was released in 1989 it sort of did the festival circuit and never found a distributor it never had a theatrical release it played like a couple of festivals i think it was in san francisco and like that's about it and i think it went to montreal um, it's completely out of print. I've never seen a physical copy of it. It's all, It only exists on the internet as far as I'm concerned. Um, and like I said, the director went on from its infamy uh, to make Shadow of the Vampire uh, and uh, a couple of music videos for Marilyn Manson. It's, the plot is, 
I, I can sum it up in like five sentences that are basically disconnected is that the movie opens with probably the best scene in it it's this masked character who is supposed to be god and he's slowly disemboweling himself with a straight razor and the scene is just him carving out bits of his body and they fall to his feet then after he dies what's supposed to be mother earth like emerges from his corpse and impregnates herself with his godhood uh and then wanders around a desert uh right oh, so <laughs> sorry continue sorry i'll hold it back continue <laughs> Mother Earth gives birth to a son, which is supposed to be Earth. They get murdered a couple of times by these rope figures, and then the desert becomes a forest. The end credits. So, <laughs> is this, what is this a metaphor for? I have no idea. Like, I think the hooded figures are supposed to be mankind. Like, who cares? That's not the point. It's the culture about this film that I think is unique to the horror genre. It's this mix of infamy, but like reverence. It's the kind of film that just circulates on like blank bootleg VHSs because you can't buy it anywhere and then you don't feel good about yourself after you watch it. Um, it's, yeah, that's what I love about it so much. It's just, it's one of those movies that is, it's, I, I don't know, it's just, you can't sell this because nobody wants to buy it. <laughs> but when you do experience it, it's, it's completely unlike anything you've ever been through. Um, and it does stick with you. Like, the nightmarish imagery of it, it will haunt you for forever and ever. Um, and yeah, and I think just, just the culture around it is something you don't find in any other kind of film. See, that's tricky. I mean, for starters, I, I think you can always find fanatics about weird stuff, no matter what culture. There are people who, who like watching the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> <laughs> like... But but more to the point, I just feel like I have, I, I I I either have so little patience or such a blind spot for that kind of. I think if you were a proponent of it, you would call it like an artistic license. Hmm. But it's where it's you know, an experimental film to deliver. Like, just I, I I'm trying to find neutral language, but the word I want to use is pretentiousness. Oh, where this it's is a weird. definitely pretentious film. I won't even argue with that. <laughs> yeah, where it's weird for weird sake, and it's oh, you don't understand my art. Well, my art doesn't understand you. <laughs> and it's like I have no room in my life for that. So I, I took one look at the concept for this movie, and I said, "The hell with it." So again, wow. the anything you read about this film is probably going to put you off of it. So I would actually <laughs> recommend you don't read too much about it because, like, okay, what you're going to find out is that it was it was very gory and critics were really put off by it, and it couldn't find a distributor because everyone was like, "Who the hell's going to go to a theater to watch this thing?" Its biggest proponent was Susan Sontag, who like filmed it, who like screened it in private parties, and so this was like. <laughs> you know, your American intelligentsia that were watching it in their homes. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of film that this was. And now its entire uh, like life is just, it has a cult following and is usually played at like, you know, theaters next to colleges. Uh, it is usually a double feature right uh, with uh, Shadow of the Vampire. Like that's <laughs> what this movie is now. But so help help me understand. So why is it on your list? It's like... on my list because honestly, the imagery is truly disturbing. It is a very freaky movie to watch, and it is one of those things that 
you really couldn't put it in a theater for anybody to to buy. It's one of those things that just has to be sort of word of mouth and distributed that way. And I, and that's just the, the, the infamy of it is just what I love. Like the, the mythos of this kind of really weird horror movie um, that, you know, that you just, you can't find in any sort of conventional setting is something that I love. It, it, was, it was also a big influence in a lot of movies where um, sort of this found footage culture came from because that's just sort of the look of the film. It looks like it's made on sort of handheld and it's like the uh, the film is treated to be very black and white and very grainy. Um, I think it was a very direct influence on uh, the VHS in um, The Ring or Ringu is, you know, just these sort of spliced, really freaky images. Uh, yeah. That's so, yeah, that, that is actually a hugely influential film on uh, on horror directors. Um, so. But yeah, this just this just has this sort of life that's just completely outside of of like the theater structure, and and yeah, I I, I can't think of another kind of film that that does that. But do you recommend it to people then? I do. I actually do. This is <laughs> okay. one of those things you should watch once. You'll never want to watch it again, but you will think about that opening scene for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff, are you gonna are you gonna see it? <laughs> I give it a shot. Maybe I'll bust out Susan Sontag and, and read first, and then I'll uh, yeah. I think it's uh, all available on YouTube. It is. Okay. It's all on YouTube, and like I said, it's a really weird hour of your life. <laughs> I mean, twenty twenty has kind of been like that. So, <laughs> and wrong. if I want anything more, is I want more twenty twenty. <laughs> yep, that's Whoa. definitely what I want to do with my time. <laughs> All right, I think we're sort of stuck in a circle in a weird read here. Let's bounce it back. What do you got, Jeff? Uh, number two for me is Hereditary by Ari Aster. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, so um, I think this was his first feature film. Um, I think that's right, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. Um, and it is, again, I'm noticing a, as, I, as I go through my list here, I'm noticing a theme uh, around families. This is another a fa- happy family movie. Uh, <laughs> this one about a, um, a mother uh, who is a miniatures artist, um, which seems really random, but um, is used very effectively in, in the film for some really creepy shots. Um, and uh, her husband and their two kids... Um, uh, I think the son is around 16 and uh, his younger sister Charlie who uh, is I think 13 and is um, again just an amazing performance by by that uh, actor yeah it, it's 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 tough to describe this one um, kind of a cult story woven throughout with some uh, pretty intense supernatural elements um, another film that just incredibly well shot and lit and and some very memorable terrifying scenes um this one i didn't see in theaters i saw at home but was still just so effective um in in the way that the horror comes across um another one that uses really long kind of slow shots where uh there are things in frame that you might not notice initially that are actually quite terrifying oh you're right yeah um, and on top of that, there's just some like incredibly jarring, sh- shocking moments too. One in particular that's become kind of infamous. Um, uh, it happens in a car. I, again, don't want to give it away, but uh, uh, if yeah, you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Very unsettling, and, and the aftermath of it is very unsettling. That that I think it's it's like the 
midpoint of the movie, but it, it informs everything that came before and comes after. Yeah, and yeah, it really does kind of anchor the entire film, that one this one scene in particular. And it's it's really like let's put it on Frederick. It's it's something bad happens to the little girl and uh, you know Jeff and I are our fathers and I feel like that made it more horrifying for me than than it would have been when I was you know, when I was 15, where I might have just been like, oh, shit, I can't believe that happened. This was like... Yeah, that's why I'm picking all these family films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some subconscious stuff going on here. Um, well, I mean, yeah, as someone without kids, I can verify it's still pretty unsettling. And I yeah. think there's... Like, there's really two horror scenarios happening at the same time in this movie. Like, there is the supernatural element... And that really, and that, that that becomes incredible, especially towards the end of the movie when it comes full bore. But there's a lot of the movie. I, f- I would, I feel like maybe half and half. Like a lot of it isn't the supernatural horror, but it's just this family self destructing over its own guilt and despair and just and, and suffer like just this family suffering as it unravels, and that. Like that hit me too. Like as, as scary as the supernatural stuff was, like the the grief of these people becoming unwound was really powerful and totally unwilling to address any of it or deal with it in any sort of productive way. Yeah, I've read I've read about this uh, people who've talked about this movie who talk about like the whole thing with her being a miniatures artist. Is it supposed to mirror how? Like they're just being played with, like how they have no control. But I didn't, I didn't see the movie that way. Like I saw these incredibly flawed characters who could have dealt with what was happening to them, but instead they, in, like they internalized like all this pain and took it out on each other, and like you know, sort of like walked themselves into the like into the fire, kind of, and it was kind of spirals out of control towards the end of the movie yeah. yeah so it's almost a relief when the supernatural element comes into it and then it starts doing things to them instead of them doing it to themselves you know that's how that's i read cool the movie. miniatures uh, as well as that that was tony collette's character trying to process the absolute horrors that this family has gone through in quick succession um and this is I, this is a film that i absolutely loved when i first saw it and it's just an example of why I feel like the horror genre needs to be taken more seriously in terms of like the acting performances because Toni Collette got robbed man she is amazing <laughs> in this movie she carries it I don't know I mean well, no, I no I do know she was amazing but I don't think anyone else wasn't the yeah. the son um I forget who the actors uh, Alex Wolf yeah he was phenomenal is that like uh, endowed as the woman who uh who sort of, well, I don't even know how to describe her, but she's a very important character and a corrupting influence. And, and she's and everything. She's like your kindly aunt. And to have her play this role is uh, very, very uh, a nice twist on what you're used to seeing her as. Yeah. And, and the, the reveal is handled really well in this one too. It's kind of a slow burn and they don't tell you more than you need to know. And it, it just, I thought it was just really effective. When the horror in the film just really sort of reaches the the fever pitch in the last 20 minutes, I remember sitting in the theater and not being able to breathe because it is just one 
it's just a horrifying image after the other. I think it's just Tony Collette hanging from that ceiling, sawing her own oh. head off, is yeah. so awesome. <laughs> but even before that, when she's upside down on the ceiling, just smashing her head oh. into the attic door, <laughs> like that really got me. The like, sound this, design, the sound design, really takes it all to a whole other level. There's yeah, exactly just... one jump scare in this movie, and it earns it. <laughs> <laughs> It's this was the one of all the movies on this list. This is the one I think that left me the most unsettled. I haven't seen them all on the ones on this list, so maybe there are better ones to talk about. But I tur- like I finished watching this movie and I was just like kind of mentally queasy for hours. Yeah, that, that's a really good description of, of of what happens in the aftermath of of this film and his his next movie as well, um, Midsummer, which was on my short list. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, I might have to check that out too because this was this was an experience. Yeah. I watched. I since we're deep into spoiler territory here, but uh, all in, during this pandemic, I watched Hereditary, Midsummer, and uh, Suspiria, and they all end with uh, naked sex cults, and uh, it's a it's a weird trend <laughs> in horror. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure a uh, you know a horrorologist or whatever would tell you that like 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 a big thing about nudity and sexuality in North America, like we've we've got it seriously repressed, and so everyone's really horrified when it pops up. Like I I I, I get that link. Like, that makes sense. My uh, my number one film, which we'll get to shortly, uh, also ends on a, a naked scene. So fantastic. <laughs> Well, Ari Aster in both of his films so far seems to have a fascination with like pagan cults. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what he's into. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I imagine whatever he does next will probably involve the same thing to some degree. Very different visual though throughout Hereditary. A lot of it, from what I remember, is is, is dark and some cool stuff with shadows. Um, whereas Midsummer is just bright and colorful, and it's really unnerving that way because it's not what you're expecting yeah anyway we don't need to we're going to start segueing into other movies let's try to let's try <laughs> yeah. to stick with it um so let's uh, let's jump it back aisha to you for your number one horror movie of all time okay my number one is let the right one in from 2008 oh uh, yeah this is a swedish I... film directed by uh, thomas alfredson it's not starring anybody you know so i'm not gonna bother um and the reason why I love this movie is that this is my favorite um, horror subgenre. This is the gothic romance. That's what this film is. It's about these two outcast children who find each other um, and hang out on the saddest looking playground I've ever seen. It looks like unfinished IKEA furniture. Um, it's set in 1982 in like a cold, stark suburb of Stockholm in the winter. Um, it starts as a bullied 12-year-old boy who falls in love with this strange girl. Um, and uh, he has his uninvolved mother, the parents are divorced, and this girl seems to have this really secretive life and this strange father uh, who killed somebody in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Um, and you soon discover that uh, she's a vampire. Um, and the father is somebody who is hunting down bodies for her and uh, you know letting their blood and bringing it home to her. Um, and of course, you know, bodies start to go missing in this neighborhood and people start to catch on. 
Uh, and the big reveal at the end. I mean, how much how much can I get into spoilers? This is a twelve year old movie. Yeah, we're I fine. Think we're good. <laughs> we're good. You know, the big reveal at the end is that you know that person was never her father. He was another of her sort of uh, you know enamored lovers uh, who's just been with her her whole life, and he he sort of chose to stay with her and provide for her in this way um, because she is this child vampire who can't really fend for herself she's she attacks people a few times in the movie but she's she's just so small she's this tiny 12 year old girl who could pass for like nine and um you know and she struggles to to kill because she's she's not she's not as strong as some of the victims that she's taking down um and she needs taken care of and she's it, it, it's this beautiful beautiful love story about you know uh, the father figure sort of sees her bonding with this uh, other young boy. He's heartbroken by it because he knows what's happening. Um, and he sort of sacrifices himself and gets himself out of the way uh, so she can move on with uh, her life with this new lover uh, because he's starting to get sloppy. Uh, the, the film has a lot of these uh, murder scenes with his father um, and uh, him getting almost caught. Uh, the, the first murder actually almost gets caught uh, in the woods when he's uh, trying to kill his first victim. Um, and, you know, he's just not able to take care of her anymore. And he knows that they have to move on. It's this quiet movie. It's very, it, a lot of it's very still. Um, and the child actors are absolutely wonderful in it. These kids are just so natural. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, you could also read it as, is it romantic or is it sinister? Like, is this, you know, two, you know, outcast children finding each other and then running away from their problems? Or is this like a centuries old creature that's grooming a child to be her slave for the rest of his life? <laughs> you could read it right. either way. But, you know, it's, that's why it's a beautiful movie because all this nuance and all of the, the performances from both of the kids. Oh my God, I, I can't say enough things about this movie, but I love it and recommend it to everybody. Do not watch the American remake. It completely <laughs> misses the point. <laughs> What's the sweetest version? Yeah, this was a, a, a really beautifully made film. Um, I I read the book uh, years before the movie came out. I think there was about a four-year gap. Um, the book was written in 2004, and the movie, I think, was 2008? Yeah. Um, there's one thing that has always, like, I love the film. There was one huge change that they made. I don't, I'm not sure if you, how much you um, read about it, if you've read the book, but um, Ellie, so the, the, the main character um, in the original novel was um, actually uh, a boy. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, so. But, but presented as, as a girl? Yeah, it was had been castrated centuries before by by a sadistic vampire. Um, there's there's sort of a, a hint, or, or at least you could. There's isn't there like one shot in the movie where you can you I can can't read it as being they, something like that. I thought they cut that out because no, I remember, I remember I think, seeing it and being unsettled by it. <laughs> I think the scene that you're thinking of, Graham, is that there's a little flash of her face as her actual age and it's sort of wrinkly for like like two seconds of the film it's just a flash and then she goes back to looking like a child and it's just sort of hints at is she presenting herself in this vulnerable way when she isn't actually um so i think that might be what you're thinking of maybe it's been a while since i saw it but it it, it did it's definitely a movie that stuck with me and i saw it quite a few times and and really enjoyed it and and i think one of the things 
that makes it stand out over some of the other movies is it doesn't over explain anything it 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 trusts you to fill in the blanks and and it's all the scarier for that i find yeah and the book the novel did the same thing um and and again it just really worked yeah i think a great example of that is just the final scene where um, like I said, the uh, the boy character in this is is brutally bullied by these kids, uh, and uh, at the end of the movie, he's uh, at this pool, um, and his his classroom bully's older brother shows up with this crew of kids, and they're basically trying to drown him, um, and that scene is filmed with the camera underwater, with just sort of looking at the boy underwater. And just around him, you can see limbs flying and feet flying and just sort of blood happening off screen. And it's just, it's harrowing, but it's also so well made because you know what? Yeah, I don't, I don't need to see what she did. I just know yeah. that she came to you see know. Yeah. yeah, You know. Yeah, it's one of those films and, and, and novels that just, it, it, it's kind of trusting the consumer to, to use their brain, right? Exactly, and it's no, it, it's it's one of those movies that um, that knows when to hold back, um, and that I think is uh, definitely like a problem in the horror genre. It's just sort of excess, um, but yeah, yeah. this is a movie that sort of trusts you to make the conclusions and show you what you need to know. It's interesting, especially when um, just you mentioning that in that time frame, like the the twenty two thousand and five to uh, let's say twenty fifteen, where like a lot of stuff happening in the horror genre at the time with all the saw films and all that oh, like yeah. kind of torture porn genre is the exact opposite of that so no definitely the, and it's and it's definitely um the, the setting is also something that that's very different from what you would normally see in especially like a gothic romance is that it's a sad little suburb of like stockholm you know, yeah. and it's yeah. and it's winter. It's not some yeah. lush setting. It's it's really starting gray. to show the the grim hopelessness of these kids' lives. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's uh, we got one more, right? Yeah, Jeff, number one horror movie of all time. Yeah, my number one is uh, The Witch. Wow, so, back to witches. And yeah. I wanted to double check: was this the one? Like, is this fairly recent? It was marketed as the Vavitch. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Not the um, Roald Dahl right. one with Angelica Houston. <laughs> right. Man, I researched the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Directed by Robert uh, Eggers and released in uh, 2015. Um, this movie set in uh, like 1630 New England, uh, which was not a good time to be in New England. Um, and, uh, I, I, I just don't think it was a good time to be. You could just leave it at that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So this um, this family is uh, banished from their uh, church uh, colony um, and ends up out on their own, having to survive off, uh, you know, living off the land and and, and trying to f- scrape by and grow enough food to sustain them. Um, so yeah, kind of a miserable setup, and uh, then they start uh, self-destructing. Um, and uh, the namesake of the film, the witch, uh, ends up causing incredible problems for them, and they end up turning on each other. And um, the again, great acting performances, 
but really the character that steals this film is uh, not human it's a goat um <laughs> run that by me again <laughs> the family's goat um named black philip who uh became so famous that he uh for a long time had a quite active twitter account um <laughs> uh, i checked he hasn't posted since 2016 so i guess he's, oh. he's been dormant yeah. um but yeah just a uh again another really intelligent film that doesn't doesn't give you too much and the horror is is just as much um, comes from the self-destruction of this family as it does from the the supernatural elements that are kind of subtle in this film too. There, there isn't doesn't really get overt until kind of the end, um, and even that is open for interpretation. So, I find that really interesting because one of the things I really loved about the movie is that it's not coy about what's happening to the family. It's not like a what is this mysterious force that's like torturing this family where did the baby go no you know in the first 15 minutes there's a witch and it ate the baby so <laughs> like it is not shy about that see one of the yes on the surface but um a lot of the film is is just them struggling right and there are a couple of scenes where they're eating um they're trying to grow corn and i think there's even there's a couple of shots where the they, the father throws a couple ears of corn away because they're rotting and, and moldy. And um, that's actually a thing. Like there's this fungus that can grow on corn that has incredibly hallucinogenic properties. So there is an argument to be made that this entire film is just this family hallucinating and losing their minds and self-destructing. <laughs> I like that reading. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, Can I just add a curiosity? Like, is there a couple of examples of what makes the goat so cool? Like, I don't think I was ever able to to move past that. I just feel like I need more. Like, I feel like I'm not sold. Well, it's a murder goat. It's an excellent dancer. <laughs> it definitely kills a couple people at the end. Yeah, it uh, it it does end up goring the uh, father of this family uh, to death in a very bloody. Uh, uh, fashion, um, very dramatic scene, and, and um, might be Satan. The goat also might be Satan. <laughs> because All right, the that, 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 that definitely is a little more impressive than just yeah. goat. Yeah, yeah. There, there are two young kids in the film who, um, throughout the movie, tell their older sister uh, that they can talk to the goat and that they talk to Black Philip, and Black Philip tells them things. And uh, it also is is very obviously like. Um, you were saying there isn't, you know, the actual horror elements in this. Some of them are quite uh, obvious, but the, the like the cloven hoof myth, and it's playing on a lot of like religious archetypes and um, and and kind of religious fear and paranoia that was around back then and is still around now. What also about fears with you know the uh, the eldest daughter sort of you know. <sighs> I guess I want to say that she's sort of big for sort of sexual becoming, you know, like she's yeah. sort of getting to that age where her, uh, you know, the, the parents are a little bit threatened by what she represents. Like, you know, the, the Christian idea of like the female body representing sin. So, sin, yeah. 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 And even at one point there's a, a kind of a, it, there's a scene where she's kind of like her brother is watching her kind of thing and it's like, Oh, like there's so much repression happening in this family that it's coming out in really odd ways right and I think that's a big part of the film too right and I, I, I don't know again I mad spoilers in what I'm about to say but <laughs> the the ending of the movie is 
actually kind of joyous because all of that repression that you're talking about goes away. You know, it's that, yeah, it's, it's, she walks into this coven of other women who are all naked and they're all just dancing and floating around this fire. And there's just this freedom on her face that is, that's, yeah, it's, it's like a happy ending. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it, it takes us back to what we were saying earlier, right? Yeah. I mean, they sort of equate witchcraft with you know, feminine empowerment now, and I, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> I guess it can be treated either way. Huh. I think the point is what that it's sort of the thing? antithesis to like um, the Christian patriarchy, right? Is that it's it's the it's the opposite. This is worship. This is uh, you know communing with the devil. Well, she she signs the the book, right? She yep. signs the the book that. Satan or Black Philip the goat offers her and uh, and, and to join the, join the coven of satanic witches and be free from the religious imprisonment that she's lived with her whole life. I think the other thing that I, I took away from this movie is the uh, the actor who plays the father's voice is so bassy and resonant that I had to have like subtitles on to understand them because <laughs> it was just like all subwoofer when he spoke. <laughs> And they they use a uh, language like appropriate for the period as well. So it's it's yeah, it, it's interesting. It's a really it was a really interesting take on this uh, time period and this story. Yeah. And I know that the um, mother uh, character, uh, that actor, uh, is also on Game of Thrones, who also plays a very tragic character <laughs> on Game of Thrones. <laughs> but I quite oh, like I, the actress. I, I, I remember reading an article too about the the, the father character and um, how on set <laughs> he really hated the goat. Like he really hated the <laughs> goat that played Black Phillip. He called him an asshole and like was the goat apparently was constantly trying to bite his hand off. And so maybe some of the tension between those two <laughs> was real. <laughs> Goats are jerks, man. Yeah, it works. It worked on screen. Yeah. Uh, the scene where the, the big reveal happens where the goat actually takes human form and is like this darkly handsome man slash Satan um, and, and ends up speaking to, to Thomas and the, the pr- protagonist. Um, uh, he, he asks her this, uh, this question that's kind of like this, there's one sentence and it's gone kind of viral in the horror world just for the delivery. It's, it's really well done. Uh, he asks her if... Uh, Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? <laughs> and offers her the the book to sign, uh, which she then does. Isn't there um, something about butter in that line too? Something about taste butter? Yeah, the taste of butter, which obviously yes. they had scrounging <laughs> for moldy corn on this failing farm. So again, a lot there, like a lot of religious um, stuff there, and and with with indulging and with gluttony. Yeah and sin and and just yeah there's a lot in this movie to unpack those are the best kind of horror movies Mm -hmm. yeah really stuck with me so so the witch the the vavitch at number one i uh i know i know the two the the v is also pronounced like a w sometimes i just i that ah that it's it feels like bad kerning and it drives me crazy but (laughs) i'll definitely have to add that to my list to watch so cool. Uh, two dueling lists, no overlap. Um, ten cool horror movies uh, to take a look at. Uh, I guess I guess there's really no point in pointing out. Is there any regrets? Anything that you heard from the other person's list that you thought, oh crap, that should have been on mine? There's 
a lot of things that I'm surprised are on neither of our lists. Like, I thought that both, or at least one of us might end up leaning into some classics. Like, nobody said The Shining. Nobody said yeah. The Exorcist. Yeah, the Exorcist. Nobody <laughs> said, like, um, 28 Days Later. There's no zombie yeah. movies, actually. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. No Romero. Yeah. yeah. I were doing this list, I would definitely have The Descent on there. Ooh. Now, okay, so for The Descent, I know there's an American version and there's a British version and they have different right. endings. It's the same movie. It's like, it's it's not a remake. They're just, uh, it's like a, a bleak ending and a slightly less bleak ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to grab those another time, I guess. There'll there be were... so much time for horror movies. Yeah. Uh, but hey, it's October. And if you're looking for something to watch, there's 10 good recommendations for you. Uh, Jeff, Aisha, thank you so much uh, for coming on to the show. That was a blast. And uh, both for things that I watched for this and things I still have to, you've given me nightmares for some time to come. So great. <laughs> Mission accomplished. All right. Good to hear. And while we're giving out thanks, I always want to mention extra special thanks to Jamie Reum, the guy behind our theme song. Uh, Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. Be sure to check him out at Jamie Reum Official uh, and Jamie underscore Reum on Instagram. And be sure to check out his online virtual trivia pub night project at triviashmivia.com. And, of course, thanks also go to you, the audience, the listeners, the people who make this all possible. Um, thanks to you, we get to do this, and it is a blast. Now, are you ticked at us? Are there horror movies you can't believe that we did put on the list? Or are there horror movies that we did mention that ruined your life because now you're going to have nightmares forever? Uh, as bleak as that sounds, we would love to hear about it. Graham, how can they get a hold of us? We have email, uh, geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're on Twitter at geektop5. We would love to hear from you. Um, but hey, that should be enough to keep you busy for a while uh, until we get a chance to do this again. Uh, until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. And we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>